to introduce our evening speaker. Bethany or? Okay, all right. Carol Kamen has been writing about doing local history for many years. She has written multiple books, including On Doing Local History, has edited two editions of the Encyclopedia of Local History. In addition, she has written a history of her county, the city in which she lives, and three books about the history of Cornell University. She has also written two dozen dramatic presentations, so I think it was particularly appropriate that Jay uh, was in the performance category, using local history and writes a history column for her local newspaper. She lives in Ithaca, New York, and taught for many years at Cornell University. It will not be a surprise to you that Carol is a longtime friend of ASLH and of state and local history. She has written her On Doing Local History editorials for History News since 1995, and she is the Tompkins County historian. And that is very much a bio, but I'd like to share just a little excerpt that we get to um, Lorraine McConaughey actually wrote in the foreword for the book Zen and the Art of Local History, edited by Carol and our own Bob Beatty. Carol encourage us, encourages us as public historians and local historians to give our history skills away, to share our authority with the people in our community. If we share the basic method of doing good history, we will encourage historically informed work throughout our families, towns, and cities. Individuals can claim interpretive power over their own historical experience and view their own lives as taking place in history. And that is why we, it is my privilege to welcome Carol to the podium. Good evening. It is a great pleasure and honor to be here. Um, I'm going to have trouble looking at my notes because there's no light, so I might wing part of this. Um, it's a great pleasure to be here, and I'd like to thank um, everyone who's been involved, John and Bob and the council, not only for the opportunity to speak to you tonight, but also for AASLH for giving me a home, which has been very important to me. Although I have been thinking a lot about Whitman these days, I begin with Ralph Waldo Emerson, because 180 years ago, on September 12, 1835, he delivered an oration on the anniversary of the bicentennial of his town called the History of Concord. Emerson was preacher, transcendentalist, lecturer, poet, essayist, romantic localist, travel writer. He was also a public intellectual who addressed the great topics that still engage us today. It is often forgotten that he was something of a local historian. I begin this way because it's my contention that public and local historians are also public intellectuals. 
though not always recognized as such by our audiences or even by ourselves. In not claiming ownership of being a public intellectual, we forget an important feature of our role and miss the opportunity to use our local knowledge for public enlightenment in addition for education and entertainment. We can and should raise questions worthy of our attention and of our audience. We are, after all, motivated by an understanding of the past, not for commercial or even personal gain. So what is a public intellectual? First and foremost, a public intellectual is a teacher of his or her community, a translator of academic interests to the public, to the general public, a speaker and writer about community topics and about our discipline and beyond it. Some important figures besides Emerson have been public intellectuals. Gore Vidal, Tineashi Coates, Edward Said, Susan Sontag, Noam Chomsky, Wendell Berry, whom we heard today, and you and me. A public intellectual stands for something larger than just local knowledge, beyond knowing and presenting the facts. Public intellectual raises questions of value, challenges local and national assumptions about who we are, shapes our thinking about local subjects, mentors young people, generates public involvement in ideas, reflects current interests, concerns, problems, and issues. This is what we do especially when we think carefully and respect our privileged place within a community. We are respecters of the past, participants in contemporary life, and mindful of the future. This is not to deny that we have made great strides in portraying a fuller picture of the past over the past 30 years, of being inclusive and of expanding knowledge. Yet there are some cautions in our search for audience, we need to remember that despite an American enthusiasm for the past, polls show that there is great ignorance or lack of knowledge about history. There is a willingness to suspend or distort history, collective memory in deference to understanding. There has been a move from the Jeffersonian-Emersonian belief in the burden of the past to a superficial passion for useful memory. We have gone from a history of broad significance to, to trivialization and fragmentation. We need to remember that history is not story. Yes, we need to tell history well. We need to use the storyteller's ability to engage the public, even as a good storyteller might, but we do not, we cannot demean history. As one historical society recently said uh, about his organization, that storytelling is replacing the lecture series. It is the history they didn't teach in school, a little bit goofy and a little bit funny, which is a statement that I think demeans not only history, but history teachers, which I would never do. While I believe in interaction between the public and the knowledge that local and public historians have, <clears throat> I do not want memory and personal conviction 
and the StoryCorps approach to overwhelm careful analysis and thoughtful discussion. I understand that the Historical Society director wanted to be inclusive and to make his history interesting. He wanted to pull people in. But he is not acting as a public intellectual by ignoring the broader important questions that his own history raises about who we are and how we got to be the way we are. We have sometimes allowed ourselves to think that an exhibit of Indian pottery or Hungarian lace or of a significant African-American or a woman are sufficient instances of diversity in our communities. Yet they mask a great, the greater and tougher questions. Um, and these are the questions that we need to attempt to answer. It is our duty to ask important questions about our material and to answer them carefully and thoughtfully, knowing that we do not know everything and that others might find other and better answers. So what should we public historians and public intellectuals address while looking at our collections, while considering gender and race and ethnicity and class and the development of government? It seems to me that the important questions of our day are these. How did we get to be modern? How did we become the individuals we are? How did our communities evolve to take on greater and greater roles? And what has been the cost of doing this? How has inequality played out locally? Think about tenancy and poverty, disability, the inability to have access to education. How has the geography of place created our community? What are the pushes and pulls that have brought people and sent them forth from our communities? What have we done to the environment? How has family structure changed over time and why? And what are the consequences of those changes? How are the opportunities of place and the language of place shaped who we are? What institutions have sustained us over time and how have they changed and how have we looked at them differently? How has our population diversified, democratized? And with it, how has our sense of who we are as people changed as, a, as people in one nation? Talking today, our national conversation is rarely based on common language. We have fragmented our sources of information. 30 years ago, which was no perfect time, there were three television channels and most people got their news that way. Today, there are hundreds of sources of news and we are hearing our news in a fragmented fashion because we listen to what we're comfortable with. So that talking today, our national conversation is rarely based on common language and sometimes we can't broach the, broach the difference between one side or another. We have fragmented um, our thoughts and we have fragmented our people and our government is certainly not exactly functional. The long shadow of history can be a dangerous territory to be in and it can lead us into unpleasantness about our home places but it also can lead us to the truth behind the myth. We need to consider our national myths. 
Freedom for all, we would say. Really? Democracy? Not always. Fairness under the law? Certainly not always. These are the myths we live with and we believe in, and yet they were, have not been true for all people over time. The arc of justice needs to further bend. We need to ask what we can learn from the past without being, in Emersonian terms, beholden to it, but to be energized by our history. None of this judges the past by the present, nor does it draw a straight line from the past to where we are now, but it shows respect for the past, and it's our way of trying to figure out how we, who we are today and to consider the future. This is the role of the historian, but it's also the role of the public historian in a modern democratic world. And if we do not breach these questions for our communities, who will? As hard as the questions are, they need to be asked, and we need to attempt answers. We need to enlighten, inform, engage, educate, entice, and entertain. And if not we, who? Emerson's history <clears throat> will no longer satisfy. He honored his own ancestors excessively. Uh, he mythologized Concord. He called it a favorite and fortunate place. He talked of the merit of its famous people and the high character of its old stories. He said in Concord, there were no ridiculous laws. There were no eavesdropping legislatures. There were no hangings of witches, no ghosts, no whippings of Quakers, and no unnatural crimes. Um, he thought Concord's history showed nothing but heroism. But this is no longer good enough for us. Our histories have to be more complex because our world is complex and we reflect the complexity of this place where we live. We have been bold in the past and we've broadened our topics, and we've let in light. We have been the local intellectual, searching, preserving, researching, while conscious of the bias in our documents and in ourselves. We have imposed order, and we have provided an immortality to events, to places, to people in our past. It is our job to ask the large questions of the day, so what about that exhibit of Indian pottery? It seems to me that it's essential that we go beyond the pots and the craft and the culture to, <coughs> excuse me, to ask about interrelation, inter, interracial relations and, and land acquisition. <coughs> the Hungarian lace, I think it's important that we know that our memory of the past is flawed and that the Hungarian lace exhibit that might be up because there are Hungarians in your community actually can mask the fact that they were not welcomed when they came or they were ignored once they were there. And the notable African-American or woman about whom an exhibit is created, what we have to know and understand is that their position has changed, our position about who we, who we, we look at has changed, and that there were a lot of common people Whose who did not make it to prominence, but whose histories we also need to, 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 to take. 
There is no one else to link the questions, the moral important questions of our day to the remains and memory of our local past. The question accepted rhetoric of myth and legend and tale and of what it means today to be an American is also the question that we have to ask as historians. So what is the value of local history? In this fractured time of boutique politics, ethnic and class divisions, inequality of condition and opportunity, and of the gross misuse of history for partisan goals, and of positions taken without sound historical basis, local history provides us with a place of quiet to find common ground, shared language. It's a base from which to investigate, to debate, to listen, and to learn. And it is the right place to ask the important questions of our time. Local history is our common space, and we need to use it, preserve it, and use it well. Walt Whitman's phrase is very apt. He said, we do the journey work of the stars. We defy mortality by keeping alive the past, enlightening the present. We need not justify what we do. We must just do it well. There is no one else. The local historian, the public historian, is qualified and trusted. Unlike some, we have not lost our public, which is a great complaint among some people. We are not an eddy of history, but for many people, we are the steady mainstream. If we do not ask the hard moral questions about the past, then who over time will do that for our age? And what could be more worth our attention? Thank you very much. Please give Carol another round of applause. Perhaps the only act appropriate to follow, Carol, would be all these amazing award winners that we're honoring tonight. And um, I have a few thank yous and kind of housekeeping things first, and then we're going to get to the really good stuff. So please bear with me. Um, every time we do this awards banquet, it is really important, I think, to whoever is the chair for the year to do a really big shout out, um, technical term, shout out, um, for the people that make this 